Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast, where we break down the classic and cutting-edge wisdom of self-help to discern how to actually make positive change in our lives, in our work, in everywhere, in order to achieve what we want in life. I'm Kevin Miller. In this episode, we're talking about chasing the spotlight. That's my interest in this. And I mean, everyone wants to be or feels they need to be the superstar in order to succeed, to have a platform and followers and an audience. But one or not everyone can do that. Uh, That's one thing. Two, is that the truth? Is that where the best success is found? And do you need it in order to succeed? And further, does that role even give the best chance for overall success and fulfillment? So with me today, is Tim Schur, who recently authored the book, The Secret Society of Success. Stop chasing the spotlight and learn to enjoy your work and life again. Uh, Tim spent a decade working as COO with Donald Miller, launching Story Brand and Business Made Simple. And while Don had the spotlight, Tim was running the business and built and led uh, just a winning team to make it all possible. Before that, Tim worked at Tom's, as in Tom's Shoes, uh, Apple. He's the host of the Build a Winning Team podcast, where he offers listeners actionable advice as he interviews some of the top leaders in business. And you can find Tim uh, on his book, secretsocietyfree.com, and you can get the first two chapters of the book there. And folks, if you want to find, uh, or if you do find self-helpful podcasts, find value in it, as always, subscribe so you don't miss any episodes, leave a review, and take anything you learn and pass it on to someone else. You can always find me at kevinmiller.co. So next up, Tim Schur. Hey, Tim, I got to say that <laughs> a big reason you're on this show is about what we're going to talk about is, uh, you know, Don, Donald Miller and other people's testimony of just the type of person you are, how you invest in other people. And when I saw that you had a book and uh, there was, you know, it talked about coming on the show. Are you kidding me? You have been so helpful and kind to me over the years. It's amazing. We've never done this face to face. So I'm, I'm honored. Man, that's so cool to hear. I love that. And that's what it's all about. I feel like just doing the work, serving somebody else's vision. It's just amazing what beautiful things can come from that. And so one of my favorite things is I feel like I just gather friends. Mm -hmm. And so you and I have known each other through just connecting with having Dawn on your show and whatnot over the years. And so now uh, for us to, to be sitting here is, is super fun for me as well. Oh, well, and we have so many mutual, you said gathering friends. We have so many mutual friends that was interesting looking through your book and seeing the wealth of friends that you have. I got to admit, it was really cool to see an endorsement in there from Ben Rector. Uh, so I'm, I'm a fan. I know Donald Miller's a fan, but I thought, so I'm in the middle of writing my book right now. And I thought, I don't want just literary authors and speakers in there. I want some really cool people like Ben Rector. So you give me something to shoot for. Oh man, he's a good buddy of mine. I was just texting with him uh, earlier today. I feel like we we're talking about golf all the time. So he loves golf, and so he he and I are on a, a group thread with a couple other buddies, and it's just the the little emoji that yeah. you can retitle your group chat. Yeah, it's just a golfer. That's a golfer. It. That's so great. <laughs> uh, you know, his song that first got me into his, his framework was you can't, uh, I don't know if that's the title, but you can't make old friends. I'm sure you know that one. Oh yeah. So powerful. We talked about it with some friends and family not long ago. Um, and speaking of that, my, one of the favorite endorsements that I saw that again, I I would covet this for my own book from John Acuff, who's a mutual friend of ours. And he said, there are books I endorse and books I endorse that I then ask my kids to read. That's powerful. Um, Tim, that's, that's one to be proud of, man. Um, yeah, I, that whole experience asking people to read the book and, you know, send an endorsement and then to see the things that people end up sending back was a really humbling and just honoring experience. I, I, um, I read through those endorsements and I'm just pinching myself thinking, wow, not only did they take the time to do it, but then just the kind things that these people had to say, it's, it's, it's remarkable. I I'm just so grateful for having all of those words 
printed. It's it's yeah. mind boggling. It says it says a lot about you. All right, here, here's the here's the first thing that I thought. Not one of the, it's not the first thing, but it is one that I thought. Okay, this is interesting because we're going to talk about somewhat to me of the fallacy of you know everything success as you talk about is all up there in the spotlight on there and talk about what you have found out that's uh, behind or, you know, supporting the spotlight. Is it a little interesting for you or a little, I don't even know if I say tension to go, well, now you're in the spotlight, buddy. (laughs) How's that feel? (laughs) Reconcile that. Yeah. I have known this question was giving me the question from even before I I published the book. I figured. So, you know, it's interesting. So much of how I talk about success in this book is, hey, you know, success is not necessarily just climbing the ladder, stepping in the spotlight, becoming the boss. It's not fame, money, and power. Surely there's got to be some other ways that we can define success. And so this group of people that I call the secret society of success is who I've really learned from when when it comes to redefining that word. Right. And if there is a common denominator for people in the secret society, it's this idea of helping others win, serving others. Like that's that the foundation. And so yes, I am stepping into a space where I host my own podcast. I'm on stages doing keynotes and things. But really the examples in the book there are so many people in the secret society that I talk about. Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, one of the largest companies in the world. LeBron James. Some of these people couldn't be any more in the spotlight. And yet, what separates them from most is the posture that they show up with. Right. So being in the secret society has little to do or less to do with your position on the org chart and more about kind of your headspace and how you show up. And so um, what, what I think is problematic and kind of what I am hinting at in the subtitle of the book is we need to avoid something that I call the spotlight mindset, yeah. this unhealthy desire for attention and recognition, because it's when we show up wanting to make everything all about us, that's when there's a problem. But, you know, it, it, I actually don't have any problem with the spotlight. You know, if you think about a concert, we need the person standing on the center of the stage for the whole thing to work. Yeah. But what I'm challenging is this idea that that is the only role that matters because we also need the person taking the tickets. We need the sound person. We need the supporting guitarists. So when we feel this culture pressure that, wait, to be successful, I have to be the person standing in the center stage. I'm like, I don't know. Because I've actually found a bunch of contentment and fulfillment in my life when I've gotten further and further away from the spotlight. And so it's just opening up a conversation about what success actually is. But I will agree there, it is a little ironic that in order to start that conversation, I actually have to, in a lot of ways, step out and lead the way in, uh, in facilitating some well, of that. I think it brings up a really good point. And I do want to quickly hear we'll get into that challenge a little bit. You mentioned contentment, contentment and fulfillment. Is that most likely to come from that person up there on the spotlight as opposed to everyone else? I think that's, you've brought kind of that up to mind. I mean, I want to talk about that, but back to the spotlight mindset and our spirit and attitude around that. It's been something that I've struggled with Tim, which is why mm-hmm. I've got you on the show to mm-hmm. talk about it because to some degree I have, not wanted to be the person in the spotlight. And yet to what you said, I have often found myself with a message and a desire to help others with that. I want to impart it. My coming book came from something I wanted to impart to my children. That's where that's really the impetus. And so from that, I don't see another way to do that, but write a book, have a podcast, you know, do that kind of stuff. So in some senses, being a spotlight was a necessary evil. I don't know Mm -hmm. if it's the thing that I most want, I don't really, I'd just be happy to be the wizard behind the curtain, but it necessitates yeah. that. So I, I don't know if people look at it that way sometimes, because there, there is a, if you've got that, you know, that desire to bring forth a message like you are here, it seems there is a need to deal with being in the spotlight to some degree. Yeah. 
you know, the fact that you're even wrestling with that to me just shows that you're in a really good, healthy, and you're in a really healthy headspace well, because thanks. there is this whole other side of it, which I overhear this girl at an airport talking to her friend and she says, I want to be famous. And her friend asks, what's your platform going to be? And she just like throws her head back and says, I don't even care. Yeah. Right. So there's a whole generation of kids these days that when you ask them what they want to be when they grow up, they want to be YouTube. YouTube. Star. Star. Yeah. That's these kids totally. want to be famous, you know? So, so the problem that we're up against, it's not really with people like you. I think you're actually in a space where you'd be very content being in the background, just doing your work, whether or not you had the spotlight and then there's some people who are just demanding the attention. And so I think a really important word when I define the spotlight mindset is it's an unhealthy desire for attention and recognition. Right, right. And, and when our lives look a lot like striving and, uh, you know, a, a comparison, and when we're just constantly looking at these various scoreboards and whether wondering how we measure up against our peers. Like this is when things can start to be problematic when we're demanding the attention. But I think when somebody gets attention from just doing things the right way, I love seeing those people win. Ben Rector is a perfect example of that. Here's a guy who, I mean, I'm on YouTube the other day, or sorry, I'm on Instagram the other day looking at, he does these videos in the middle of the show where He'll say, you know, Dallas, Texas, one, two, three. And they all throw their hands up and everybody cheers. And you just look at the thousands and thousands and thousands of people. You know, you see that. And what I love about seeing Ben's success is he leads and operates from this posture of just like humility. <laughs> and I love seeing people like that win. You know, so you can actually be in a place in the spotlight with a really healthy perspective, but it's the people who are kind of chasing it down in an unhealthy way, I think is where, you know, we need to check ourselves. And I, I sure don't want to shoot this. This isn't a point. I know you do a really, I feel like tactful and gracious job of you're not shooting down being in the spotlight. No way. But I feel like yeah. it's a great gift to say, oh my gosh, though, for every person in the spotlight, there's a sea of people supporting that that are incredibly fulfilled. So I say that to preface that there is, I feel like relevance if we audit everybody in the spotlight, which I've, I and you have had the privilege of doing I mean, that's who I have on these shows and that's who I even grew up uh, in that arena and getting to be with a lot of those people. And that's part of what made it not the most desirable thing for me. Cause I looked at a lot of those and thought, I, I don't really want that life, the, the struggle of that, the coping with your own ego, the having to perform like that. I, I don't, and I, so I was at a point in life and I thought, I don't really want that. And I think that's viable for people to look at and go, I don't know that you've really counted the cost of what it takes to be on stage. And, the, and, the, and I'll pose that question to you or pondering to you of, if we look at that, is that, are those people the most, it may be fun. There's some fame, power, you know, some money, accolades, mm -hmm, whatever, mm -hmm. but are they really the ones statistically, if we did a survey that are most at peace, most content, most fulfilled thoughts. Yeah. I, I think they are up against a challenge. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they have to deal with things that not very many people do. Um, you know, I was thinking about a particular friend. I, I have a routine where I like going and getting a cup of coffee at this, you know, coffee shop. And I was thinking about some of my friends wondering just literally this morning, could they do this? could they actually walk into this coffee shop and do what I'm doing now? Yeah. Or would they kind of be hesitant because they might get stopped by several people and almost drilled and grilled and asked for pictures. So there is a level of that. That's a little tricky, but you know, what, what I, what I've learned about success is it's some of these people who are in the spotlight have remarkable opportunity to cast a shadow and to show people a different way to live. So yeah. leadership comes with great responsibility. And, and I think you, even when I hear you talking about your desire to make an impact, you're willing to take on the burden of that um, 
to make somebody else's life better. And, you know, one of and, and this is a key lesson for me as I've started to redefine success, this idea of success in the assist. So LeBron James and the Lakers won the NBA finals in 2020. And what I think is interesting is at the end of that season, LeBron did not win the scoring leader title, which a lot of people would say is the thing that a player like LeBron should want to chase. Michael Jordan won that scoring leader title 10 times, Mm. but LeBron didn't in 2020. He wasn't even in the top five, but LeBron led the league in assists. Mm. So the way that he chose to play and ultimately how he and his team won was by him setting other people up to score. And, and I just love that. Like, what if success is in the assist? What if we as leaders are willing to step into that struggle, but our motivation and our drive is because we're trying to make the lives of somebody else better, right? We're willing to take the hit to impact people in a meaningful way. And, you know, when I was working at StoryBrand, one of the things I did, I hired every single employee. And uh, there was this one day that uh, application came through and on this person's resume, they had one of my favorite jobs. They had one of my favorite companies listed in a previous job of theirs. And I couldn't wait to ask them what it was like to work this giant company. And so in the first interview, I'm like, tell me everything. And and, in talking about their culture, they said, here's the thing. It's a really competitive environment, but nobody there has your back. And, and I was just so sad hearing that because in this world that defines success through the lens of getting to the top of the corporate ladder, doing whatever it takes for you to win, I'm learning from LeBron, actually, what if we set other people up to win? Yeah. Because when, when this person's talking about that culture, nobody there has your back. They said, everyone's so interested in their climb, their journey, that they would never do anything that looked like helping somebody else unless it was to serve their own agenda. And I just don't think that's what winning and success looks like. I want to be somebody who is all about the assist. And so when I look to the leaders that I respect the most, that I've been inspired by the most, they just, they operate from that posture of helping other people win and being all about the assist. Okay, so talk, I had that in capital letters from, I don't know what part of your book that it jumped out at me, but just the issue of credit, of wanting credit. And it took me back to, you know, the childhood days or the lifetime days in the church and whatnot. And the idea of, you know, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing and the concept of giving anonymously. And I get it there's nothing in my nature necessarily that wants to do that. I I don't know that I've ever done something that I would not be, I'd I'd be okay with credit. I I don't, I don't mind credit. And I really, I really know that I I like it. I mean, I want to be even in, and there's unhealth in that, even amongst my family, I want to be, I want appreciation. I want affirmation. I want those things that we would say, those should, you know, come from, come from the Lord, come from, you know, people aren't of that faith that just come from your own self-confidence, but oh my gosh, we're in a culture that wants credit. And again, what you got me considering, and I'm sure you have considered this uh, a lot. I know you have, is that we're in a credit society in regards to yeah. social media. And we got kids wigging out if they make a post and they don't get a bunch of likes and they don't get this affirmation that everything we're doing, we've never been at a higher place of hoping anything and everything we do, we document it and we get credit for it. And I've been caught, I've gotten caught up in that. I mean, at at our level, it makes you money. If if you have a thought and put it out on social media and get enough hits, you you make money. If I do something, if I share X, Y, Z, and we joke a lot about things we could do here on the podcast just to get more downloads uh, that we would not do. But you want credit. And so here we are saying not to take credit. Do you, do you agree? Do you see that, that we may be in a, at a place where it's harder to conceive of that than ever, or we're being drawn away from or drawn towards the need for credit more than ever. Yeah. There's this um, plaque that sat on Ronald Reagan's desk when he was president. And 
It says, there is no limit to what a man can do or where he can go if he doesn't mind who gets the credit. Oh, wow. And okay. I bought a replica of the plaque. It's, it sits on my bookshelf right here. I see it. Because I need that reminder every day. Wow. wow. <laughs> because I think for us to want recognition or want credit is just being human. Like we want to know that we matter. So there is just a very natural human thing in us that just wants people to know that we are valued and appreciated and seen. But when it starts to get unhealthy is when we start to demand it. When we do it for the sake of getting the recognition yeah. or for the sake of getting the credit. And so, you know, one of my favorite memories um, was uh, my, one of my favorite memories working with Dawn and StoryBrand, yeah, which I did for almost a decade. It's crazy. Um, a decade flies by. Mm -hmm. So Dawn released a book called Scary Close in 2015. And about 10 days after a book comes out is when you find out if it makes bestseller lists. So Dawn gets a phone call while he's at the office and it's from the publisher. We knew this was the call where, you know, he'd find out. So he hangs up the phone, lifts his hands in the air. He says, we hit number five on the New York times, which is the highest any of his books had ever been on that list. So we high five, we hug. And then something really beautiful happens. We all went back to work. <laughs> and some people would hear me say something like that and be like, I mean, that seems like pretty simple and short celebration. Like y'all are dysfunctional. You don't know how to celebrate your wins. And it's one of my favorite memories though, because I just look at it as a group of people. We built a culture where we were content doing the work and didn't mind if we got the accolade for doing the work or not. Yeah. And so there's this, I agree with you. We are in this age that everything that we do, we are up against this tension of doing it for the love of doing the thing versus creating it to get the, you know, dopamine hits from somebody reacting to it online. Right, right. And, you know, so there's this desire that I had in writing this book that I was going to walk everyone through a three-step process to overcome the spotlight mindset so they no longer like suffer from it or experience it anymore. And I couldn't do it because to try to put it into three steps is just not true to life. Yeah. The reality is this is not a problem to solve. It's a tension to manage. And, you know, I have a friend who wrote this book called the power of healthy tension. And, and he's the one that I learned that idea uh, of you don't solve problems. It's like some of the stuff that we deal with in life, they're tensions to manage. So we have to learn to live in the tension between really wanting to be noticed and wanting the recognition and on the other side, doing the work for the love of the work and not needing the credit or the recognition or the attention at all. And the reality is we just live in the center probably where we're up against this decision where we either step in the direction of unhealth or we step towards living in the way of the secret society. So I agree, this is a problem, but it is a tension that we have to learn to manage. I love that quote, Tim. I'm, you just took me in a hundred different directions or, or maybe just one as an, uh, an umbrella issue that I see in our culture right now. You said a problem to solve instead of attention to manage that we're in a, you know, black and white, right or wrong. I'm right. You're wrong culture instead of a, as my buddy would say, the, the bother, uh, and the, and you say the, the and, tension yeah. and, yeah, I still don't like the gray, uh, but I but that's right. That's relevant. Our as brains well. want the solution. It wants the black and white, and and we're just not going to get it. You know, it's like so. Every day, I fill out a uh, a gratitude journal. Yeah, and I'll just tell you, as we're on this topic, this is very fresh. Okay, so I have some moles that are annihilating my yard right now, and it is so frustrating. Okay, yeah. <laughs> And so I post this video on Instagram and it gets a bunch of views, people commenting about my mole problem and what I can do to solve it, right? So then I create another video. I'm just building on this narrative, right? 
and it's fun, but it also is getting a lot of views and plays. And, you know, as I think about um, my day yesterday, I just didn't like when I got to the end of the day, I felt like I was thinking more about the content that I was going to create to post online than I was being present with my family after work yesterday. Yeah. And so one of the things I fill out, it's called the five minute journal and you write down three things you're grateful for, but then, um, you know, it also asks what are three things, what would make today great? And you write three things. And on this list, I wrote family over Instagram hmm. because this is a tension that I am learning to manage because yes, there is this, I'm trying to build a business and all of that. And this is content that for some reason people think is interesting around moles. But I also, when I ask myself, like, what, what do you value most? Because yesterday I seemed to value Instagram over my family. And so I'm going to try to not beat myself up about it. I'm going to try to give myself grace, try to lean into continuous improvement. What can I learn and how can I use what I'm learning to get a little bit better today? And today I'm going to try to prioritize my family over Instagram because I just didn't do that that great yesterday. Tim, a couple days ago, I confessed it was to my membership group and one of them said something along the lines of what you're talking about. And I confessed of realizing days ago that I was sitting there in front of the computer with all my book stuff up and my primary motive in the moment was finishing the book. It doesn't sound bad. Didn't seem bad to, to me, but they cause, they, they give me pause to step back again and look at my mode. I'm sitting here trying to finish the book or am I sitting here trying to, again, just what I said a minute ago, this is something I wanted to impart to my children. It mattered enough to me on a yeah. Saturday morning. And I know the date to start what became this book and was an epiphany to me, uh, to some degree and, and something I wanted to impart to them. And then I wanted to broaden that and I wanted to bring it here and, uh, getting caught up in the, well, and this comes back to your mindset, the spotlight mindset of what is the motive and the spirit behind it. But again, just as you said, it's a tension to manage because yeah. here you also said, I mean, it does help if you have this message. So here I'm holding your book in front of anybody looking at the video, you know, the, the secret society of success. So now you have it here. If you want to influence and impact more people with a message you feel has benefit, then there is benefit in going out there and playing the game in essence uh, yeah. of, of getting, you know, sharing your mole incident because it helps people understand who you are to trust you, to align with you. And they may be more interested in, in getting the book, which you feel like probably will help them. I mean, that's why you wrote the book and yeah. hopefully they'll yeah. share it with somebody yeah. else. And so there we have that tension of, having the mindset right, the motive right, and also being at peace. And I've had to, I'm saying this for myself, Tim, and then also being at peace with, okay, there are some things we're going to do that just are good business decisions, which you yeah. have done so well in your time, well, in your work in the past, you know, decade and before balancing those. But I don't think the majority of us, me included, um, are great at finding the peace and balance between those two. And what I'm hoping is that when I talk about things like the spotlight mindset, I heard a guy named Tom House say, problem identification is half the solution. Okay. So we have to know, and I'm trying to put language around what we're even up against. Because so many of us are dealing with the spotlight mindset. We don't even know it. Yeah. We don't realize that we're prioritizing one thing over another necessarily. So what I'm trying to do is, you know, I heard somebody use this phrase prehab, like okay. I'm trying to get out ahead of something before it becomes this big problem. And so, you know, I'm sure, you know, Michael Hyatt. Yep. Um, so Michael was given the opportunity. This is a long time ago, the, an opportunity to run a division at a publishing company. This is before he became CEO of Thomas Nelson and, and all that. So, 
Um, Michael's given the opportunity to run this division at the time that division was ranked 14th out of 14 in all these key and significant metrics, team morale, revenue, they were at the bottom. So he tells the CEO, give me three years. I'm going to turn this thing around. Well, in only 18 months, he turns it around and Michael gets a bonus check that he said was greater than his annual salary. Wow. I mean, he was pumped. He couldn't wait to get home and tell his wife about it. His wife was his biggest fan. He knew she'd be thrilled. But then the conversation he has with his wife when he gets home was very different from the one he was expecting. And it starts with her saying, we need to talk, which is not a great start. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She then, with tears in her eyes, she says, your five daughters need you now more than ever before. Mm. And in fact, I feel like a single parent. So here Michael was having all the success that he could imagine, turning this business around, taking it to number one with revenue and team morale, doing all the things right. And yet relationships with the people that mattered most to him were suffering because of it. Yeah. So Michael, just to close the loop on his story and the journey that he's been on over the last several years, he wrote a book called Win at Work and Succeed at Life. Yeah. So Michael calls this the double win. How he defines success is very different from the way that he used to define success. So what I'm trying to do is prehab. I'm trying to get out ahead of, here's the things that I'm wrestling with now, the tension that I'm trying to do a better job managing so that I don't have to have a moment like Michael had when my wife sits me down and says, we need to talk, right? So I'm trying to put language to, We have a dysfunctional view of what success is. And if we don't learn to clarify it, we actually may be heading down a very gnarly path. So how can I actually just cause people to stop and realize what we're up against so that we can choose a different path? And so what's crazy is if I were to ask somebody success is and have them fill in the blank, I think that a lot of people may say something it's YouTube. That it's yeah, it's it, yeah. <laughs> right. they, they they would. They, I feel like a lot of people may actually struggle with that answer. And I would also say that the way that they're living and the way that they would define that likely are going to be very different. Yeah. So they may not write in money, fame, power, climbing the ladder, but then you look at their lives, and it's almost like their life is set up in a way that it's as though they were chasing those things. Yeah. So we just need to get really clear on our answer. Success is, so identify that and then line up your life to where it is actually, you're living in that way, that new way. You know, I've had Michael Hyatt, we've had him on the show three times and I've been privy to some of his journey, even personally, because he and Gail are buddies with my parents. So I, I hear yeah, vicariously, yeah. I, don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't hang out with Michael, um, but it has been interesting to see some of that and how he's managed that and, and curated uh, what he has. And, and you, you bring me to thinking again about the other side. Uh, we mentioned this before, but, but something you said, I want to bring, come back over that with all these things that we're talking about with the, almost want to, I almost want to say the danger uh, of that can go along with the spotlight is another, the other side of that, that I have witnessed and it's grieved me a bit. And I bet you have a lot too, is having somebody who has something that you so want the world to hear. You yeah. so want it and they're not having it. They, they've seen enough of this stuff. They've seen people in the spotlight. They've seen some of the dangers and the ego and whatever. And they're just, no, man, I'm not doing it. And I've looked at that and go, I don't like that either. I don't like that either. You mentioned the word responsibility or burden of sure, doing that, yeah. that uh, there are some people where I, I've I've gotten even angry. I said, I, you know what, you, you you have to deal with your ego, but you're robbing everybody of this thing that you've got to offer. And I have a big heart for that as well on that side. And it, I think again, both both we can throw the baby out with the bathwater, and we're back to the polarization like you talked about. Then you know, black and white instead of the tension of saying, man, those things are are real. But watch out, just sh- shooting down this gift you have to offer because you have just boycotted the negatives that you have seen about the spotlight. 
You know, it's interesting because a few thoughts are coming up for me as you're saying that, because I don't know, every single person will have a different reaction to that predicament that you're describing. You know, if someone truly is just afraid, um, that's a whole, that's a, that's a thing to dig into and figure out. It's like, Hey, how can we push through the fear to actually get this really important message out there? But, but here's another one. So I just believe that you don't need a stage to make an impact. And I think that there is a lie that a lot of people believe, which is to really be impactful. You need to touch hundreds, if not thousands or tens of thousands of lives and yet the people that I've been inspired by the most, they've just been able to impact one life at a time. And that has been what has brought about the meaning and the impact that they ultimately are wanting. So here's an example. Um, Becca Stevens is someone who lives in Nashville. And in 1997, she opened a home for five women to get off the streets from lives of prostitution, drug addiction, sex trafficking. She wanted to help five women off the streets. And Thistle Farms is what the company ended up being called. She found that these women were doing really well in their recovery, but when it came to living wages, I mean, it's really hard for someone with a criminal record to get a job. So they started creating soaps and lotions, and, and that was the, the company that they created to help fund the recovery. Is that there in Nashville? And so, is this, this yeah, it is. I, yeah, it I know is. the name. I bet it's yeah. through my parents. Uh, yeah, yeah. Keep, keep going. And so Thistle Farms now, 25 years later, has grown into this massive social enterprise huh. where they have hundreds of free beds now all over the country helping women recover from some of their past traumas and experiences and to actually get into a better headspace. Hmm. And, you know, just wholeness. Some of these women are gaining custody back of their kids, you know, and, and when you're living on the streets, sometimes that's really fragmented and broken. And so, you know, one of these women who has been through Thistle Farms and has graduated from this program, you know, I asked her, you know, where would you be without Becca Stevens influence in your life? And she didn't hesitate. She said, I'd be dead. Without Becca, I'd be dead. And so there's so many people that look at impact as, okay, if I really want to do this right, I need to go out there and make this big splash. But what I've learned from Becca and even people like Blake Mykoski, one life at a time, like what if that was our motivation? What if we set out to impact one person's life at a time? And if over the course of time that accumulates and grows and you do have a big impact, fantastic. But Blake Mykoski didn't sell 95 million pairs of shoes and start a you know one-for-one one model and totally disrupt the business landscape by trying to do that. He didn't get there by trying to get there, but he just tried to get shoes for a single village in, in Argentina and that has now grown to what it is. So I guess all of that to say, this person that maybe is struggling with, yeah. you have something deep inside you that you want to get out there. And sure, there may be some fear of you know the spotlight, or maybe it's some other fear that would keep you from doing it. It's really important to just define like, what is success for you? Because some people might not want the spotlight just because they don't want the spotlight. They're like, that's not me. That's not for me. It's not going to be for me. And, I, and I'm like, that's fine. Don't do it. Um, but for somebody like me, even though I didn't really want it, I just felt so compelled to just step into it yeah. just because I was so passionate about this idea of helping people redefine success that this is the path I chose. But I, but I do think that everyone can kind of choose their own path. And, and maybe if you want to have a, a smaller thing and, you know, just impact one person's life at a time. I also want to be cool with somebody who wants that. Okay, so let's play with let's play with that concept to impact one person. Yeah. yeah. That in a alongside that, 
parallel maybe. We think about this a lot with coaches and consultants. So if you're out there doing your job and you're working with a company, yeah. doing X, Y, Z, and you're ultimately selling a product or service, the focus is there. The minute you become a coach or consultant, you now flip the switch. You now are selling yourself. And as you yeah. know, a lot of people don't realize that. They think that they were going to become a coach or consultant and come over here, a trainer, whatever you want to call it. And they're going to sell their service, but they're not anymore. Now they're selling themselves. The spotlight is on yeah, them yeah, and they don't yeah. realize that, which is why a lot of people who could help others don't get enough others in front of them because they don't know how to do that. So similarly, when we're talking about the spotlight and we'll play with the YouTube exaggeration. So we're taking yeah. a kid going, so you want to go out there and sell yourself to a million people that will listen to you and subscribe and, and whatever, as opposed to working with whatever organization where you often sell yourself to one person and like, like your boss or your employer or the owner or, or whatnot and go make that one sale. And you now have a salary, you have a, a job. And you know, I'm saying this, I'm a huge proponent fan of being an entrepreneur and, and I love it, yeah. but I'm very well aware of that when you do that. And in this concept, when you're going to be in the spotlight, you're saying, I'm going to go sell myself to everybody as opposed to over here and go, cause a lot of people don't like the term sales. They don't like the thought you got to sell yourself somewhere. Somebody's going to pay you. Yeah. Is it going to be those, that audience of 10 of a hundred of a thousand of whatever it takes? I mean, I have, I have a lot of people that I rely on for downloads that pay the bills from advertisers yeah. and whatnot, as opposed to just one person or, you know, a company and a few people that I sold myself to. I, I don't think we're giving that fair, uh, giving that, uh, uh, understanding that concept. Yeah. You know, so I think it really comes down to the heart of it, the motivation behind it. So, you know, I heard Andy Stanley speak at this event and it was around finding your purpose. And the thing that he had said was, you know, these questions like, why am I here? And, you know, we live in this world that is kind of a what's in it for me culture. If we're going to buy a product or service, we're asking what's in it for me. Right. How will this product make my life better? And and that impacts us more ways than we may realize. Why be loyal to you, that product? It's like, yeah. so Andy says, if we actually want to find our purpose, we need to ask very different questions. Okay. Here's the question we need to ask. He says, it's who am I here for? Mm. And what I love about that question is it allows us to show up bring our skills, our abilities, everything that we have, bring it to the table. But the posture is bringing all of that in service of somebody else. And, you know, as you're talking about this idea of, you know, building a brand around you and, you know, all that, you know, one thing we used to talk about at StoryBrand is your company is not the hero. Your customer is the hero, your brand, your company is the guide. You are Yoda, your customer is Luke Skywalker. The problem for so many people as they're setting out to become a coach or launch their own business, they just keep making it about them. Yeah. It is all about them and it is all about them, you know, getting the paycheck, you know, having those X number of clients that are paying them X number of dollars a month. And when we start to obsess around how many deals we've closed, versus how am I adding value and solving the problem for somebody else? I think that's where things can get a little bit off balance. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's hard to do though, because the reality is people, if, you know, if they're, if they're running a business and they need to sell products to, to make it. Um, but I just got to see time and time again, working with Don in that decade, the more value that we brought to other people. And as that if that continued to be our motivation versus obsessing over revenue, it just felt like the revenue took care of itself. And, you know, I just had Jesse Cole on my podcast and Jesse Cole, um, he's the owner of the Savannah Bananas, who if people have not heard of the Savannah Bananas, they are a minor league baseball team yeah. in Savannah, Georgia. Well, let me yeah. say, that's a great story. Oh, Go check him out. So I had him on the show, but in all truth, it may have been four or five years ago. And I've seen him a bunch lately, probably social media stuff. So thanks for yeah. bringing attention back to him. He, so 
the Savannah Bananas are like 10 levels below the major leagues, and yet they sell 4,000 seats a game, have sold out every season since they started in 2015, and they have a wait list. He told me as of last week, they have a wait list of 49,000 people. (laughs) My gosh. And the way that they have achieved all of that is they focus on the process, not the results. Hmm. And I think for so many of us, we obsess over the scoreboard, you know, the number of clients that we have, the number of, you know, our our revenue, the number of employees that we have, we obsess about that stuff. But what Jesse and the Savannah Bananas focus on is the process. They are all about creating an incredible experience for their fans. That is how they spend their time. All of their ideas run through that filter of fans first. And so what's cool is the money has taken care of itself. But I, but I think that that is a challenging thing to do, um, especially if you're strapped for cash, right? Like that is hard. But, you know, I heard somebody say your core values are only your core values if they cost you something. Yeah. Well. So if your core value is to provide an incredible experience for your customers, there's probably going to be moments when that's challenged. Are you going to lean into that and go all in on that, you know, experience, or are you going to start nickel and diming because you're more interested in the bottom line, you know? So I just think to kind of come all the way back around, I, I really do feel like it just comes from our motivation and the heart behind why we're doing things. And I just want to be somebody who's more interested, somebody who defines success as the process, not the result, even though it's another tension to manage. Another tension to manage. Well, a primary part of your message, and we haven't even talked on it, is team, building a winning mm-hmm. team. I mean, that's what you know, Donald Miller, I think in the book somewhere said, Tim, made people feel appreciated and valued and recognized for what they contribute. So obviously we've talked a lot about the value of other people saying, okay, I I mean, maybe the spotlight's not the place to be. Well, let's look at the opportunities in the team, but what about that team? Because we often have people who have been a part of teams that were not life-giving. They did not feel appreciated and valued and recognized. And we have people who are, we have a lot in this audience listening who are business owners and they hear that and they're not doing a good job at it, but they're not good at it either. And, And I'm interested in that with you because I am, Tim, I'm not a great team player or builder. It's just, it's not a great skill set of mine. And I've spent time struggling with that and I need to get better with that. And I don't want to cop out on that, but kind of like personality styles. It's, I have some other great skills. Building a team is not uh, great. I mean, I've got a huge family and I, do, am I, I was, you got me thinking about that. Am I a great team builder? I don't think that I am. I mean, we have great time and great relationships, but as far as a team that's all together on one, you know, focus, that's not a skill set I have there and I don't in my business either. And what I've been veering more towards is saying, I need to, I need to engage with people like you to help me build a team or uh, it can help make a team flourish. And I almost wanted to take, especially for business owners in mind, to say, look, you need this to flourish, but it may not be your skill set. And maybe that's not a, an area you need to grow in. You need to get somebody involved who does it. Maybe that's what you and Donald did. I don't know if yeah. that's his skill. Uh, it seems like you did that for him, but maybe speak to that a little bit on the team side. Yeah, I think for a team, we're, we're to staff our own liabilities, that's a good the reality phrase. is we are all not perfect. We say, have our you strengths, gotta say that but again. we also that, have our liabilities. You can't just go past that. Say that statement again. Stat, say it. Yeah, yeah. We have to staff our liabilities. That's so great. a team is at its best when everyone is playing their part, doing what they do best, operating out of their strengths and using their superpower. And then maybe in some of the other areas where they're not so strong, you hire somebody to own that. So when it comes to building a team, I I really love this idea of everyone feeling like they matter and like everyone showing up counts. You know, that, that concert example, 
the, we need the person standing in the center of the stage. We also need the person running the spotlight, the person playing drums, the usher. There is no one role that is best. Everyone needs to play their part for the whole thing to work. Right. And so what, what I have been so passionate about is that idea of recognition. And I've learned a lot from this guy named David Novak. And David is the former CEO of Young Brands, which is the parent corporation for Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, and KFC. So David um, grew that business in his tenure as CEO, grew the business from $4 billion to $32 billion. And so many people look at that and they're like, how did you do it? And David did it by creating a culture of recognition where they valued everyone's contribution. And so he knows as a leader, he is casting a shadow. People often become an iteration of what they are seeing in their leaders. And so um, what David would do, he created a, a recognition award. And hey, I'm going to. Yeah. So this is, if anybody's watching this on video, you can see it, but I'll, I'll try to describe it. Imagine a giant pair of smiling teeth with, you know, two legs popping out of it. And, and he called it his walk the talk teeth. Wow. And, it, you know, it had yum here at the top. And so what David would do is when he saw someone exhibiting the behaviors that he knew would drive the business, he would recognize them. So he would give them one of these awards. He'd write their name on it and write what they did. And, um, and then he'd say, hey, I'm going to take a picture with you. I'll send you a copy of it as well. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your picture and put it on the wall in my office because I want to show people that you're the kind of person who's really making things happen around here. So Kevin, he filled up all of the space on his walls that he started putting these pictures on the ceiling. <laughs> and so it's, it's just amazing what can happen when, when people feel seen and they feel valued. And there's this quote from Oprah that I actually love. And um, here we go. I'm going to find it. I, I put it right at the, the beginning of the book. At the, the beginning of chapter five, it says, we all want to be seen. We all want to know that we matter. And the most you can ever do for somebody is to show up and allow them to know that they have been seen and heard by you. And, and so the reality is a lot of leaders are just like, you know, how you would describe yourself. They don't necessarily feel good at that team stuff. And a lot of people are just so busy. They're, they're not taking time to recognize their teams. And I heard about this study where they asked, leaders, you know, do you frequently recognize your employees for their contributions? And 80% of these leaders said yes. And then they asked their direct reports, do your leaders frequently recognize you? And and, and 20% of them said yes. So Dan Heath in in his book, The Power of Moments calls that the recognition gap. Wow. And so the reality is recognition doesn't have to be this massive thing even just you reaching out to one of your team members and saying, man, you coordinate all of the details for these podcast guests. And uh, it's remarkable. I have no idea how you do it, but people always show up when they need to with the information that they need. I, I just can't thank you enough for, for what you do. Wow. I mean, it's like, what's that take 10 seconds? Yeah. But yet I think for so many of us, it's just got to be a new thing that we, we just have to learn to, to have our antenna up and just look for those moments. Because especially when leaders do this for their teams, I just think it makes a massive impact. And, um, you know, Don has done some incredible, you know, things in, in the past and in, in just recognizing me for my work. And, I, I have some of these just handwritten notes saved that I'll never throw away, Yeah, you know? And so our words have power and they have influence. And I just love this idea that even if we just got 1% better on the recognition front as leaders, just imagine the kind of impact that it could create in our companies if people felt seen and valued and appreciated. It goes into those stats that we read about 
employees and thinking that they, what do they most want? A, a raise. They want more money. They want more X. And we hear, no, they really want more appreciation. We've heard that for so long, but obviously the stats show that we're not listening at all. And, yeah. you know, even myself, I think about that. Yeah. With, with kids that I recognition that is not my first go-to. I am not a natural encourager. I, it's, it doesn't come. I have to yeah, really yeah. make efforts. So yeah. again, as a business owner, well, I would tell any business owner right now, get uh, a shameless plug, go get the secret society of success and, and talk and engage with Tim. Sure. Go listen to uh, the podcast and learn how to put these things in place, even if you're like me and it's not your nature. So, and, and I would say question, are you going to become a, a perfect in that? Or can you also, as you said, can you, um, what did you, what, what staff, your liabilities, staff your liabilities. <laughs> Thank you. Get a Tim. Sure. Get somebody in there who can yeah. help you, uh, do that now. Also, wait, no, go ahead. I saw you, well, you. Uh, here, here's another thing yeah. too, just real simple. If people really do want to get better at this, pull out your iPhone right now and say, Siri, remind me to recognize somebody every Friday at 3 PM. Okay. I think my, my, my computer, I, my, in my ears right now, my computer heard that and it said, okay, your reminder is set starting on Friday. No. At 3 PM. <laughs> so it's, it's that easy, right? Like okay. start just once a week, just recognize somebody. Right. So, so it, it maybe you shoot a note to your assistant and say, I want to do a better job recognizing our team. Can you just remind me about this from time to time? I really want to show up for people and, and, and let them know that they matter. Just say, hey, I want a little bit of help. So I, I do think that we can also use technology in little simple ways to just bring this to our attention. We're capable, but it's just not top of mind. And if, we, if it matters enough to us, either staff the liability and or you know, set some reminders and put things in our past so we don't forget. Tim, it also feels like it changes the conversation or the perspective and paradigm of, so let's leave the business owners and just go to those who are going to be employees or going, going to be part of a team. I mean, when was the last time that instead of going to a job, applying for that job, I mean, who knows how many people you've hired, Tim. So the people come there, they apply for the job, they appeal to you, they sell themselves, they attempt to sell themselves mm -hmm. to you. They are concerned about how much they're going to make, what their title is, is their benefits, whatever. But do they think about if they were aware of, okay, the thing that's going to matter to me most in 30, 60, 90, 120 days is how appreciated I feel. How can I audit the company for that? Which I think is why we have entities, platforms like Glassdoor to go see what do the employees actually yeah. say? Because my thought is, oh my gosh, if I was going to go meet Kevin Miller and join some company somewhere that I would request to interview some of the employees and hear from the horse's mouth and say, what is this place like? Am I going to be appreciated? And they say, oh my gosh, Donald and Tim make you feel like royalty. And I say, man, I'm in. Yeah. Are they here? Like, man, you're going to get great benefits at a, a company Porsche, but you're going to feel like dirt. We don't, I mean, that's not yeah, part yeah. of the equation as far as I, I know you. Yeah. Well, generally. one thing that I love to do is give people a clear picture of what they're stepping into. Mm. So in all these interviews, I'm saying, hey, here's the reality. I'm interviewing you. You are also interviewing me. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if this is a win for me and it's not a win for you, we both lose. Yeah. So I want to tell you everything that I can about our rhythms, our routines, the culture, because you're stepping into a thing and I'm going to try to do my best to give you a clear picture of the whole thing. So I would talk about, we do shout outs at the end of staff meetings where we're regularly recognizing the work that may otherwise go unseen, unnoticed, unappreciated, unrecognized. So we just take a few minutes at the end of staff from every staff meeting and, you know, leave some space for shout outs. And I also talk about how we would do quarterly performance reviews where we're every quarter having a conversation around expectations. Yeah. Here's the five things that we set out at the beginning of the quarter as your priorities. And then you're going to do a self review and evaluate. Did you, you know, exceed expectations, meet expectations, or did you not meet expectations? And we're going to create opportunities every quarter to have a conversation like that. And what I found is in our quarterly performance reviews, 
most often it's us just giving people feedback on the work that they've been doing to really move the business forward. So when I'm able to tell people about those things as a part of the culture that we are creating, I do think that people get a, a clear picture of, of what it was like to work for us. And in a lot of ways, it's a competitive advantage because you're right. A lot of companies are meeting with their employees once a year at the annual performance review. And you know they, they are in cultures where they're not recognized for their work. And you know it was a thing that we did. And so we talked about it. Well, and I, you got even the aspect of a performance review, I have had, I have been privileged with information that's caused me to address that differently with my children specifically and going from a performance and achievement based accolades Mm -hmm. to a, an affirmation of who they are. So instead of taking my kid and going, Oh my gosh, you rock because you won yet another, uh, you know, cross country race, um, and saying, buddy, I am so proud of your effort. I'm so proud of your, of your courage to show up. I know it's a lot of, this was a real thing. It's a lot of pressure to feel like, because you have been winning that you have to continue to. And he was really struggling with that. And it, it really caused me to, man, I've got to step back. He, the pressure he's feeling is is not good. And just say, I I love you for your effort. And it's, I love you just as much if you're, if you get 10th, we would even joke, dude, today, try to take the pressure off today. I want you to get 11th place. That'd be awesome. Just get out of place. Hey, dad, yeah, whatever. But I had to change that because I was, I had drawn to that performance thing. And so if we're doing that in the workplace and think we're honoring everybody by just stating what their achievements are, as opposed to who they are, I would guess. And again, I'm not in this like you are. I, I, I would, I would assume that that's um, pretty significant and pretty missed. So we talked about John Acuff a little bit ago. He has that book, Soundtracks. Right. And it's about these messages, these things that we tell ourselves. And, you know, I'm hearing you say, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. It's not natural. Let, wanna, me, let me back off and say okay, it doesn't so, come okay, naturally. Okay. okay. So, but what I'm hearing you say is, as a father, you are recognizing the behaviors that you see in him, calling out things that you see. You are recognizing and building a team, your family, right? And so I think that's such a beautiful example of what that really can look like. What are the behaviors that we want to call out? What are the things that we want to remind each other of that truly matter? And you know, I actually love that story because that's it. That's what recognition is all about. It's like, hey, we're not going to get caught up in these funky scoreboards. Effort. I want to see effort. And when I see the effort, I'm going to just shower you with praise because that's the stuff that matters. And, you know, what David Novak would do, it's just that same conversation in the workplace. You know, it's, man, the way that you put the customer first and really empathize with them is exceptional. That's everything that we want to do in this business. Incredible job. So I, I feel like you're actually, you're, you're doing a great job of it with your family. And, and, you know, when you really boil it down, it's probably the team that matters the most to be uh, succeeding at that with. Agreed. Agreed. Tim, I, uh- I'm going to circle right back up where we started and agree with John Acuff. Um, I understand why he gave the endorsement in your book that he did saying that there are books I endorse and books I endorse that I then asked my kids to read because this is powerful for anyone, but anyone, uh, but even with them, what do you want to do? Who do you want to serve, as you said earlier, and how do you want to do it? Being a YouTuber is not the only way. Being in the spotlight, which gets all the credit, all the focus, is not the way. There's a secret society of success. So that's why you're here in the show, man. Um, what a gift. Thank you for giving me a lot to uh, ponder. I'm so honored to share it with everybody else. And I, I'll leave you with this because it is a quote for me that is a North Star And uh, it's Albert Schweitzer. He says, I don't know what your destiny will be. Perhaps some of you will occupy remarkable positions. Perhaps some of you will become famous by your pens or as artists. But I know one thing. 
The only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. Mm. And I just think that is it. So may we be people who define success a little bit differently. May we be people who show up and ask, who am I here for? That are all about the assist, that help other people win, that recognize others, that learn to live in the tension between all of this. And I think if we do that, we are those people that will uh, be setting ourselves on a much different and better path. I got to start charging people for these podcasts, man. If you're going to get stuff like that. <laughs> hey, Tim, thank you, brother. I'm, I'm honored. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay, friends, again, you can find Tim's book, The Secret Society of Success. Stop chasing the spotlight and learn to enjoy your work and life again, uh, wherever you get books. And check out Tim Scherer's podcast, Build a Winning Team. And as I said at the top of the show, if you go to secretsocietyfree.com, you can get the first two chapters of his book for free. Thank you for choosing to tune in to the Self-Helpful Podcast. Subscribe to us. Uh, let us have a review. Let people know what you think of the show. And the best thing you can do is take something you just heard that was of value or, or interest to you and share it with someone else. I sincerely hope I've helped you help yourself. 